It's great to be back. We are in week six in the book of Ephesians. So several weeks ago, I started a docu-series on Netflix called The Last Dance. It was fantastic. It's incredible. I highly recommend it. If you don't watch documentaries, this is a great one to start with. It takes a look at the 97-98 Chicago Bulls season. And I just wanna go ahead and get something out of the way real quick for you. If you think that Michael Jordan is the goat, would you just drop a goat emoji in the chat right now? And listen, if any of you put LeBron James in there, we are shutting that chat down. Do you hear me? I mean, literally administrators, would you go ahead and just block LeBron James from the chat because it is not happening. He is, if you don't know what the goat is, it means the greatest of all time. Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. But in that docuseries, there's something that really stood out to me. As I watched every episode, there's something that they would do prior to the game. You know what they would do? They would gather in a huddle and they would do a chant. And what that chant meant to them is, is that we are about to go out and dominate. So they would get fired up, hyped up in this huddle and they would chant and they would say a couple things and then they would go out and dominate on the floor. In the same way, Paul is getting us hyped up in this passage. If you remember, there's a break in Ephesians. Chapters one through three is all about our identity in Christ. And then chapters four through six is all about us living out of our identity in Christ. And so there's, we're at the very end of chapter three. Right before that break between chapter three and four, okay? And, and what Paul is doing is he uses a prayer to hype us up to get us engaged, to recenter our purpose, to recenter our direction, our hope, and that we would do this, that we would not just believe who and what Christ has done on our behalf, but that we would pray in such a way that God would do a work in our hearts that we would go and live out our faith. Another way of saying it is this. Chapters one through three is all about orthodoxy, what we should believe that God has done for us. And then chapters four through six is all about orthopraxy, how we should live, what we should do. Do you see that? So he's using a prayer in chapter three, verses 14 to 21. That's where we're gonna be today. He uses a prayer and a doxology to hype us up, to get us engaged, to live out what he's done in our lives. It's beautiful. It's amazing. And so let's go ahead and take a look. We're gonna start with with verse 20, which is the doxology. And then we're gonna come around full circle and start with the beginning of the prayer and the content there. So let's jump in. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, Verse 21, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. Think about those those words for a minute. God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. How many of you actually believe that? I mean, actually believe immeasurably more. Really? I mean, what does that even mean? Think about that. 
What, what does that mean for us? When I meet new believers or people who don't have a firm grasp on the Bible, I tell them to do two things other than just read the Bible every day. I tell them, hey, listen, I want you to ask two questions. The first is, what does this say about God? So when you're reading a passage or a verse or a chapter in the Bible, what does that passage say about God? And the second question that I tell them to ask is, what does this say to me? So what does this say about God? And then what is it saying to me? What is it telling me to apply or do in my life? That's, that's what I tell new believers all the time. And I want to answer these two questions in this passage right now. The first one is, what, is it, what does it say about God? It says that God can do things that we can't even fathom, that they're unimaginable, that they are so big and so other than, so outside us and our intellect and our power and our knowledge that, that God can do immeasurably more. He has no bounds. There's no limitations to God. That's what it says about him. What does this mean for me? You know what it means to me? And what it should mean for you is that we have hope. That we have hope. It makes me think of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. I love this. He has purposed. He has worked in such a way that we would be saved, born again, and right in the eyes of the Father that he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Not a false hope, not a half hope, but a legitimate hope, a living and active hope, not a dead hope. It's this hope that lives every single day. It's beautiful. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. I wanna ask you a question. Is it possible that our measurement is not his measurement. Immeasurably more, think about that. Usain Bolt, for instance, he is the goat of sprinting. He's the greatest of all time. He's broken all the records. He was the fastest man on earth when it comes to sprinting, right? But if we took Usain Bolt and we threw him in a Formula One car and maybe he was doing the race at Singapore for Formula One racing, he would be the slowest man on the track, right? It all matters how you frame it. It all matters what your actual measurement is. Think of it this way. When it comes to measurement, it's all about your framework. It's all about what parameters you're putting around what you measure. If it doesn't look like God is doing immeasurably powerful work in your life, could it be that your framework is not God's framework? Have you thought about that? You're sitting there and you're going, yeah, God can do anything immeasurably more than I can imagine or ask or think and all these things, but why isn't God showing up in my life? I mean, where are you at, God? Is it possible that your measurement is not God's measurement? I mean, is that possible? Think about this. Are you measuring your life in the wrong categories? Is it possible that his ways are different from yours? Is it possible that there's purpose for pain? Is it possible that your worst season will result in your greatest growth in your life? Is that possible? Are you measuring the wrong things? Are you framing the wrong things 
according to God's standard, are you doing that? You know, I think of, uh, this is years ago. I was two years out of seminary. We were going into church planning and everything went south, everything. Everything that I thought I was gonna be, I wasn't. Every situation that I could like conjure up, it was not happening that way in my life. And me and my wife were just sitting there looking at like, what is, what is God doing? What are we doing? We felt so worthless and wasted and insignificant. And I remember in this time, we got a newsletter in the mail. It was one of my buddies from seminary. His name was Justin. He had planted a church and I knew about it. He sent in this newsletter about all that God was doing. There's big picture of them all gathered for worship and that they had baptized X amount of people that year. And I read it and I was so excited about what God was doing. And I handed it to my wife and I was like, Gene, check this out. Look at what God's doing in Justin's church and in his life. And she looked at the newsletter and pushed it away. She said, I can't look at that right now. You ever feel like that? I mean, I took it really well in that moment, but there's other times in my life where I, I take something and I look at it and I go, God, what are you doing? Why is my life not like theirs? Why is my situation not like theirs, right? Have you ever felt that way? Like you were stuck in your life? Maybe it's you and you, you see this person who's, you know, you, you're looking around, everybody's married, everybody's got kids and you're single. Or maybe you look around on Facebook and they're going into their 10th anniversary and you're going into your divorce and you feel like you're going backwards, right? Or maybe you're sitting there going, I'm in debt up to my eyeballs and all my friends have paid off their house. Or this person's getting a promotion and I got a demotion. Or maybe you don't even have your job right now and you're having to restart everything. You're going, God, what are you doing? Like, what am I doing? What does this mean about my life? Here's the thing Gene and I learned in this season. We learned that God's measurement for life is different than ours. You see, we measure everything on the external, success, money, relationships, status, but God doesn't measure those things in, in that way. God measures internally. He's wanting, and, and what he did in Gene and I's heart and life in that moment and in those years is that he was shaping and molding and growing our faith. He was churning up idolatry and all kinds of things that were getting in the way of us pursuing God. This success-driven, this achievement-driven idolatry. Is it possible that God is using your worst season to do incredible things in your heart and in your life, and you're just measuring the wrong things? And I mean, is it possible that God's saying, I want you to take a huge next step and it's in this really tough season and you, you've been measuring it all wrong. If that's you today and you're realizing, man, my framework is all wrong. I wanna give you a quick moment to respond. Listen to this, all through the Bible, Old Testament, all the way through. God's people took an extra step. They did. In so many ways, they took an extra step to say, God, I'm here and I trust you. I'm here and I trust you. Let me give you some examples, Old Testament. God's people would literally build altars 
to worship God. They, they built a bronze snake, put it on a pole and looked at it to worship God, to say, I trust you. They set up stones. They did all of these different things to say, God, I trust you in this season of my life. More modern day examples are people who walk down the aisle, right? To say, I trust in the Lord, or they take a, a piece of paper, they write a past sin on it and they burn it in a fire, or maybe they stand during a service for prayer. But what they're doing is they're taking an extra step to say, I wanna follow you. I'm gonna trust you in this season. And so I wanna give you this opportunity. I want you to just type in the chat, I will trust you, God. I'm gonna take that extra step. I've been going about it all the wrong ways. I've been looking at all the wrong framework, right? I've been measuring the wrong measurements. God, I will trust you, Lord. Go ahead and type that in. Then if you wanna be more specific, that would be awesome. I will trust you with my finances. I will trust you, Lord, with my son. I will trust you with my marriage. I will trust you, God. I will trust you. Now to him who can do immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine, I will trust you. Now to him who can bring beauty from ashes. Now to him who can speak life into dead spaces, I will trust you. Now to him who can do immeasurably more. That's our God. It's this doxology and this praise. And he's saying, we are gonna trust you, God, now to him. You see, Gina and I did this several years ago. We lived in Macon, Georgia, and I lived in Macon, Georgia. We were engaged, and we would go to this thing called 722 every Tuesday. It was about an hour away in Alfreda at a church called North Point, where Andy Stanley was and is. Louis Giglio at the time had a ministry called 722, started at that time, about 5,000 college students, we would go and worship and hear Louie preach every Tuesday. It was amazing. There was one Tuesday we went and he had this envelope at the end of the service and he asked everybody to open it up. We opened it up and it said something to the effect of, I will go wherever God wants me to go and I will do whatever God wants me to do. In that moment, Gene and I engaged ready to be married, got on our hands and knees and just cried out to God, literally crying, crying out to God, God, whatever you want us to do and wherever you want us to go, we will do and we will go. God, whatever that is. And we have lived our life that way ever since, through the hard times, through the good times, through the crazy times, through the times that didn't make sense. What we were saying is, God, I will trust you the one who can do immeasurably more than I could ever fathom. Give me the framework. Give me the, the ability to see that I'm measuring in the wrong ways. And then I'm gonna do whatever you want me to do. And I'm gonna go wherever you want me to go. Okay, so we're gonna circle around and jump into the prayer now. We're in chapter three, verse 14. And he says this, this is Paul. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love 
may have power. There's that word again. Together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, before I dive in to the content of this prayer, I want you to know that there are different ways of interpreting how to read this prayer and how to think about it. There's multiple views, but there's two that are the most popular. And I'm gonna explain those and tell you where I land. The first, the, the first primary way that people interpret this is that Paul is making three requests. So he, he says in verse 16, I pray for strength. In verses 17 and 18, I pray for love. And 19, for maturity. So a lot of people look at this passage and they go, man, it looks like Paul's making three requests in this prayer. That's a really popular view. The second primary view that people view this is that it's one request that builds on intensity. It builds in intensity. That's the view that I hold. In Greek, this is actually one sentence. It's 86 words. And there's no coordinating conjunctions, which means there's no and. Now in the English translations, it's there to make sense out of it, to help it to flow. But in Greek, there's no coordinating conjunction. So it's this idea that there's a request and it just keeps building and building and building. And it's this beautiful prayer that Paul prays and ask us to pray as well. And so let's take a look. You're gonna see how it builds. Look at it, verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So Paul prays and he says, I pray for inner strength. I pray for the strength that has power. What he's saying is, I pray that you may experience Christ in your hearts through faith and that this strength would allow you, enable you to have and feel and experience Jesus in your heart. It's interesting. Watch this. This letter is to believers. Paul says all over the place in other letters that Jesus is in our hearts when we pro profess faith in him. That Jesus comes inside our hearts. The Holy Spirit as well. Colossians talks about, he talks about it all over the place. So what are you talking about, Paul, that you would pray that we would experience Christ in our hearts? He's already there. What he's saying is, is that it's not just, hey, you're gonna, you're gonna believe in Jesus, he's in your heart and you're good. No, 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 there's a sense in which he wants us to experience Jesus's presence in our lives. He wants us to know and to feel that. Psalm 34, eight says it this way, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Taste and see, I want you to feel, I want you to experience, I want you to know without a doubt that the Lord is good. It's not just a mental ascent. There's a book that came out by J.I. Packer called Knowing God. This is years ago. One of the first books I read as a believer. And he knocks the idea that knowing God is just mental ascent. It's not just that. It's not just knowing facts and saying, well, I agree to them. I acknowledge them. I'm a, I give assent to them. No, 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 no. He's saying, I want you to experience God. I want you to have a relationship with God. I want it to affect your affections. I want it to affect your mind. I want it to change your life. 
Paul is praying for strength that we would have internally, that we would experience the presence of Jesus in our lives. That's what he's doing. He's setting us up. You see that? He's hyping us up to look to him, to ask for strength to live according to him. Now, here's where it builds. Paul then explains what this strength that causes the presence of God in our life does. Watch this. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power. There's that word again. May have this power, this strength together with all God's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with to the measure of all the fullness of God. This power, this strength, he's asking for it to do its work in our hearts in such a way that we would be able to grasp the love of Jesus. That we would grasp the height, the width, the depth, the beauty of the love of God that he has for us in his son. You see that building effect? So I I, I wanna just be practical here for a second. Paul sets this prayer for us to meditate on, to pray ourselves, to think about, to consider over and over. There's a book that came out years ago. It's by Donald Whitney called The Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life. It's one of my favorite uh, Christian spiritual discipline books. And in in the chapter on meditation, he gives two examples, and I think they're so good. He says, when it comes to meditation, it should change you. And here's an example. For instance, if you're out hanging out with your buddies or you're somewhere and there's a campfire and it's freezing outside and you're cold. If you go up to the fire that's burning hot, you're freezing cold, you go up, you stand next to it for a couple of seconds and then you walk away. Are you warm? Has the fire actually done anything to you, to your body to create warmth on you? No. What do you have to do? You have to go and sit by the fire long enough to where the heat transfers to your body. Donald Whitney says, listen, meditation is the same way. If you just come and listen to the sermon and walk, or if you just read your Bible and then walk and then say, oh yeah, that was a great passage. All right, moving on for my day. He said, you're gonna miss so much. God intends you to grasp the height, the width, the depth of the love that God has for us in his son. You need to sit on that. You need to hang there. He gives another example. He talks about tea. That, that when you have tea, you get what? A cup of water that's hot, it's boiling. You put a tea bag in it. Now think about this. If you just drop a tea bag in and you pull it out 10 seconds later, are you gonna taste any tea? No, you're not. What do you do? You let it steep. You let it sit for minutes. You let the, the tea leaves infuse into the water to where you can actually taste the tea. Paul is showing us, hey, I wanna, I'm praying that you would have this strength, that you would be able to grasp the height, the width, and the depth of the love of God. And so my challenge to you today is, is that you wouldn't just leave this sermon, but know that you would go back to it and read this passage, that you would meditate, and that you would pray through it as a family, as a couple, and say, God, what do you have for me? I want this strength. I wanna change. I wanna be different. And that's what he says at the very end. He says that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That you may grow into the people that he's calling you to be. So remind you, 
chapters one through three. Here's what I've done for you. Here's what you need to believe. Now I'm gonna, in this intercessory prayer, in this in between chapter three and four, I'm praying that you would meditate on the love of God and that you would be strengthened in such a way that you would go out and live, that you would be changed forever and that you would be set up to read the rest and, and study the rest of Ephesians, that you would be able to live out of your identity in Christ, that you would live a worthy life. Let's pray. Father, we ask right now that you would strengthen us in our inner beings and that it would result in in such a way that we would have an experience with you, that we would sense your presence and your peace and your hope and life right now. There's so many people that are struggling. God, would they sit long enough with you to be strengthened and to meet with you? And God, would you enable them to grasp the love that Jesus has for us, that he died on a cross for our sins and that we can trust that he has paved the way for us, that we have a living hope. And God, out of this love, out of this grace, that we would go and live, that we would go and be different, that we would go and trust you today. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.